0: This morning, we're starting a brand new teaching series called Storytime. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus held his own version of Storytime. He would communicate truth to his audience through stories. And these stories are known as parables. The definition of a parable is a short allegorical story designed to illustrate or teach some truth, religious principle, or moral lesson. Some even refer to parables as earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to have story time with Jesus. We're going to be studying a few of the parables he tells during his earthly ministry throughout the New Testament. All of them are found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And in fact, the one we're going to be focusing on this morning is in three out of the four Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this same parable for us. However, it's going to be Matthew's text that will serve as the primary one that we focus on today. So with that being said, I'll invite you to open up your Bibles or your Bible app to Matthew chapter 13. That's where we're going to be talking or, or basing our passage, our lesson on this morning. Matthew chapter 13. And while you're turning there or navigating there in your app Uh, I want to provide you with some context to what we're going to be talking about this morning. Again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, but one of the things that happens in Matthew chapter 12, the prior chapter, is that Jesus establishes a way to differentiate between those who follow him and those who are opposed to him. Right, He makes it clear, hey, these are the people who follow me and who love me. These are the people who are opposed to me. And he makes it very clear. He simply says, followers of Jesus strive to do the will of God and opponents do not. Those who love Jesus will do what he says. And those who are resistant to Jesus will do their own thing. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. And if you know or if you're familiar with Jesus' earthly ministry, the time he spent ministering to people from about the age of 30 to 33, he spent a lot of that time butting heads with the religious rulers. Now, you would think, hey, aren't these the church guys and aren't they supposed to be on Jesus' team? You would think that would be the case, but that wasn't in this period of time. The religious rulers did not like Jesus. They were opposed to him. In chapter 12, it even talks about their desire to kill Jesus. They fell in the camp of the opponents but the the religious rulers weren't the only ones who were interested in jesus or following him him around right the bible talks about how there were crowds multitudes of people who would follow jesus they wanted to hear what he had to say they wanted to see him perform miracles and so we know where the religious rulers stand they didn't like jesus but what about the crowds what about all these other people who were following jesus what was their response to jesus were they followers or were they opponents? They've heard him teach. They've seen him perform miracles. How will they respond to Jesus and his message? In the parable that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus addresses the potential responses of all of those in the crowd. And he doesn't only respo- or address their potential response, but he talks about the potential for you and I, the potential responses that you and I have to Jesus and his message, Follow along with me as I read Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. It says, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil." It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plant, Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So after this crowd gathers around Jesus, He tells them a story involving what would have been a very common experience for his listeners. See, in that period of time, most everyone would have been familiar with the farming practices in that region. They would know that when a farmer went out to sow seed, it was oftentimes done with a bag over his shoulder, kind of a satchel, and and he had the grain slung in in this bag, slung over his shoulder, and he would take it by the handful and begin to scatter it or toss it out in the rows of his field. That's how they were kind of scattering seed at that particular time, and everyone would have known this. And due to the way the seed was tossed out or scattered, it would fall on various types of soil. And so in this particular parable, Jesus describes four types of soil where the seed would fall. First, he talks about the path or the road. Then he goes on to talk about the rocky soil. Then he talks about how the seed would fall among weeds or thorny plants. And finally, he talks about the seed that fell on the good soil. And so first again, he begins with this seed that falls on the path. Or the road, the path of the road would have been a hard ground that surrounded the perimeter of the field. Maybe there was a path that cut down the middle of it. But in this particular time, the farmers would use that path or road to navigate or get around their fields, so as not to trample their own crops. Right, and so it was just the way that they got around. And, and these paths would be extremely hard. Now. If you've been driving down on on I-5 going south or 99, you may have noticed that roads and paths surround many of the fields that are on either side of the highway. And just like they did in Israel, the farmers use those roads, probably more so to drive now, but to get around their fields and access the parts of their field that they need to get to so they wouldn't have to trample their crops by going right through the middle of it. Now, since the seed or Was tossed or scattered uh, with with no real direction other than just kind of a, a toss of the hand, it was common for some to fall on this path or this road, especially when the farmer would be sowing seed near the edge of the field. However, the ground for the path was so hard that they might as well have thrown it on a concrete slab. There was no way for that seed to take root and grow, and so it just simply ended up being food for the birds. Jesus goes on to talk about the next soil, the rocky soil. Now, the conditions in Israel weren't always ideal for farming. Some of the terrain was even uh, rocky or uneven. Now, I'm not a gardener, right? And, And really, I have no interest in gardening. My whole goal is to keep my lawn somewhat green, right? If I can keep it somewhat green, I'm good to go. So I'm I'm not a gardener. I have no expertise in this area. But I understand enough to know the importance of soil, right? If I want a flourishing garden full of flowers and stuff, I shouldn't fill the flower bed full of rocks. Like, all right, no brainer, right? I understand that. I get the importance of soil. Now, of course, farmers in Israel who did this for a living, they knew the importance of good soil too. Jesus wasn't telling them anything they didn't already know. And while they knew the importance of soil, sometimes the rocky soil was simply unavoidable. And so as they cast seed, some inevitably fell where the conditions were less than ideal. The seed would still sprout because the rocks were covered by a thin layer of soil. And this thin layer of soil could even give the rocky soil the appearance of of good soil. Because by looking at it, you couldn't tell that under that thin layer of soil was tons of rocks. However, there was the soil's lack of depth that prevented the seed from establishing deep roots. And so the life of the seed was short-lived because it lacked the root system needed to withstand the hot sun. Jesus goes on to talk about the seed that fell among the weeds or the thorny plants. Now, the nemesis of every gardener or farmer is weeds. And I am convinced, even though I'm not a gardener, I am convinced that, the, that weeds are the result of the fall of man, right? When, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden tree, it was like, hey, separated from God and weeds started to grow, right? Nobody likes weeds. We, we kill them in cold blood as often as we get the chance. No one wants them. They serve no purpose but to frustrate us. And so it's got to be, right, that the result of the fall. And so just like your own garden or your own yard, fields in Israel contained weeds. They contained thorny plants. And so it was only natural that some seed would fall among the weeds. Now, these thorny plants, these weeds, wouldn't prevent the seed from sprouting however the weeds would rob the seed of the nutrients they needed to thrive the bible says the weeds choked the plants causing them to wither finally jesus goes on to describe the good soil the soil that fell or excuse me the seed that fell on the good soil had the necessary conditions to thrive unlike the path The ground for the good soil had been plowed. Unlike the the shallow rocky soil, the good soil was deep. And unlike the soil with weeds, there was nothing in the good soil to steal nutrients from the seed. And so, therefore, the seed was able to take root and produce a crop. And the good soil produced the results the farmer desired. Jesus finishes this parable in verse 9 by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, that just sounds weird, right? He who has ears, let him hear. It's like, well, I got ears, Jesus. I can hear you loud and clear, right? What is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about people being deaf? Like, what is going on in this scenario? What does he mean by that? Well, in this particular phrase, while it sounds odd to us, this statement would serve as an indicator that this parable was more than a commentary on soil. Jesus didn't need to tell his crowd, hey, this is how you farm, right? They got all that. They understood all of that. But by saying, he who has ears, let him hear, Jesus was letting everyone know that a deeper meaning was intended. Luke tells us, the disciple in his account, Luke tells us that the disciples came to Jesus to ask for an explanation of the parable. And Matthew records Jesus' explanation for us in verses 18 through 23 of Matthew chapter 13. Allow me to read Jesus' explanation for us. Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution come because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of light, of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the man who hears this, that received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 130 or, excuse me, 60 or 30 times what was sown. You see, from Jesus' explanation, as we begin to dive a little bit deeper into this particular passage, into this parable, We learn that the parable that Jesus tells is about the differing or varying responses people have to the gospel message. In other words, it's about the responses people have to the life and teachings of Jesus. So you and I fully know that not everyone who hears about Jesus will become a genuine Christ follower. And this parable helps explain why that is the case. From Luke's account of the parable, we know that the seed being sown represents the word of God. Luke mentions that in chapter 8 of Luke, verse 11. In chapter 13 of Matthew, in verse 19, uh, Matthew refers to the seed as the message about the kingdom. And while Matthew describes it different as Mark than Mark and Luke, it communicates the same idea. They're talking about the seed, and it means the word of God, the life of Jesus, the gospel, the good news. We also learn that each of the four soils represents various conditions of the human heart and the condition of the soil or the condition of the heart will determine the response to the gospel. And so the question that we need to answer is, well, how is the gospel received by each type of soil? How is the gospel received by each heart? See, the first, Jesus goes on to describe the response of those who have hard hearts. When the farmer cast seed on the path of the road, it became bird food. We looked at that in the first few verses of chapter 13. The hard soil of the path wasn't even able to produce a hint of growth. And in a similar way, when someone's heart is hard, they're unable to hear or understand or accept the truth of the gospel. And as a result, the gospel is not able to take root in their life. In other words, there is no spiritual fruit. There is no spiritual growth. And perhaps this describes the heart condition of someone you know. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker, a friend, a neighbor. And you found them to be antagonistic toward Jesus, faith, or church. Or maybe they're not even antagonistic. They're just simply not interested in matters of faith. And for whatever reason, their heart is hard. They're unable or unwilling to accept the truth about Jesus. And unfortunately, their hard hearts make them vulnerable to Satan's attack. One of the things that's so important for you and I to understand, when it it comes to believing in Jesus... Scripture makes it clear that the burden of responsibility rests on our shoulders. No one is going to answer for you. Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? We need to personalize that question. What do you believe about Jesus? Each and every one of us has to make the decision, will I follow him or will I reject him? We're responsible for that decision. And while we're ultimately responsible, Satan is also doing everything he can to prevent us from receiving the gospel and becoming a Christian. The Bible says that Satan is our enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And as our enemy, he wants to do everything he can to prevent us from receiving the gospel. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now hear this, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, Satan is doing everything he can to ensure that those with hard hearts stay that way, that they remain far from God. Next, Jesus describes the response of those who have shallow hearts. See, when the farmer cast seed on the rocky soil, it sprouted quickly due to the shallow soil. However, just as quick as it sprouted, it withered because it had no roots. Some people hear the gospel message and they seem to jump on board immediately. They like what they hear. They recognize it as truth and they receive it with joy, as the Bible says. However, their faith is never fully established. It lacks deep roots. And as a result of that, when trials or persecution or challenges come, they fall away. In other words their faith isn't grounded enough to withstand life's challenges. James describes this in James chapter 1 verse 11. It says for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. Have you ever stopped to think why does this happen? How does this happen? The seed is cast on rocky soil and there seems to be signs of life. It sprouts. And yet, we see this in the life of so many people that it eventually withers. So, how does this happen? Why does this happen? You see, I think it's so important for us to understand that there are environments, there are conditions that are suitable for growth. For instance, the soil was rocky but there was just enough of a thin layer of soil for that seed to germinate. Some people find themselves in an environment in which they are struck by the truth of the gospel message and they respond with joy. That environment could be a normal church service like this, just like on a Sunday morning. It could be summer camp when the students are away for a week. It could be a week like VBS, which we just hosted. Or that environment could simply be surrounding themselves with Christian friends. However, when their environment changes, everything crumbles because their faith is not yet strong. Their faith has yet to be established. I've seen this play out in one of the lives of my childhood friends. It was through my family that he was exposed to Jesus and Christianity. He came to church with us as a kid and we were in youth group together for a number of years and And through through my family and through our local church, he had the opportunity, my buddy had the opportunity to hear and learn about the gospel. When we were in sixth grade, he was in an environment suitable for growth. One night at Awana, which is a Bible program hosted by a lot of churches throughout the country, my buddy put his faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. I was in the room. I saw it happen. He was in an environment that supported and encouraged him to take that step. However, it wasn't long before challenges and trials struck. Maybe a year or so later after that, his parents got divorced. And it was messy. So much so that even when I was a kid, I I could see that. Shortly after that, his dad got into a terrible motorcycle accident. The fact that he even survived was a miracle. He was in the hospital for months, and his dad was never the same. Eventually, my friend moved out of the neighborhood. He got kicked out of our local high school and had to attend school elsewhere, he moved about 40 minutes away. The environment that helped foster his faith was removed, and the trials withered the faith he had. And I've been able to keep in touch with him over the years. We'll text once in a while, just check in, sell each other's doing. And in fact, my dad had lunch with him two weeks ago. And, and my friend, he made it through the trials. And by the world's standards, a lot of people would say, man, he's doing all right. He's pretty successful. But he lost his faith in the process. And he told my dad that he simply just doesn't believe in Jesus anymore. Unfortunately, the faith of my friend was superficial. He received the truth with joy. But true transformation never followed. See, Jesus told his followers to expect hard times. Matthew 10, he talks about that when he's going to send the believers out. I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We should expect it. It's just a matter of time. And if you're a follower of Jesus, especially if you're young in your faith, if you're new to this whole Jesus thing or Christianity, you need to do everything you can to firmly establish your faith so that with God's help you're able to withstand the trials that will come. Not might come, will come. And there's so many things that we can do to help us establish our own faith. And the things that I'm about to share with you right now, there's nothing magical about them. It's things that everyone has been telling believers to do for years upon years upon years. It's just a matter of whether or not you're going to do it. We need to pray. We need to ask God that He would sustain us to help us remain strong in our faith when trials hit. We need to read the Bible and study Scripture daily daily we need to know the truth of god's word and apply it to our lives and we need to fully engage at life point some of you know if you're fully engaged or not you know if you are in or you're kind of on the fringes on the outside looking in you see the church as we are called in scripture is is the body of christ that is us we need one another that's it we need one another We need one another to grow, we need one another to help us us sharpen and to remain strong. And so each and every single one of us need to do whatever we can to get connected to the body. You need to make attendance at our weekend services a priority. The average American attends church 1.2 times a month, 12 times a year. And you wonder why people fall away or, hey, I don't feel that close to God. Oh, really? Cool. (laughs) I'm so surprised shocked in fact see you next month right you need to do everything you can or at least consider attending some of the events that are happening here build relationships with other believers consider joining a life group in the fall signups here are gonna be starting in just a few weeks find a way to serve there's so many ways where we can get you plugged in let me know that's my job here email me hey I want to get involved we will find a way to help you get plugged in I got an easy uh, way for you to get connected today. At the end of the service, don't bolt to your cars. Go get free ice cream and actually start to talk to people, right? We don't have ice cream Sunday or things like that just for kicks and giggles to have a good time, right? Like, hey, let's spend some money in that way. That'll be fun. No, it's all about connecting with others. That's one of our values here at the church, connect with others. And so if you go straight to your car, you're missing it. But if you also start struggling in your faith, I'm going to be like, hey, have you joined a life group? How often do you come to church? Have you, have you gone to meet people? Don't put yourself on an island. See, persevering in your faith is, is so much more difficult when you try to do it on your own. And we wonder why the devil picks us off. It's because you're the gimpy gazelle who ain't going to get away, right? You're not with the pack. He sees you and you're on your own and you're isolated. You're done. Don't be shallow soil. Get rooted in your faith. Next, Jesus describes the response of those who have distracted hearts. See, when the farmer cast seed on the thorny soil, the seed was able to sprout. However, the seed wasn't able to thrive because the weeds stole the necessary nutrients. And so like the seed that fell on the rocky soil, the seed among the weeds doesn't last long. Some people who hear the gospel may have a desire to receive it. They want to follow Jesus. There may even seem to be a sign of growth or life. But their heart is distracted by everything the world has to offer. Meaning they never make Jesus the top priority in their life. They never put Jesus on the throne of their heart. You see, they want to add Jesus to their life rather than die to their earthly desires. And there's a big difference. And unfortunately, this type of reason for someone to reject the gospel is fairly common. See, those individuals, to a degree, they understand the gospel, and they see the benefits of following Jesus, who doesn't want eternal life. But the cost of dying to themselves is still too high a price to pay. Matthew, Mark, excuse me, Mark 14, verse nine or 19 says, their desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it Unfruitful. See, ultimately, it's competing priorities that prevent true conversion in their life. And when it comes to those with a distracted heart, desires of the world went out, and the seed is never fully able to mature. Finally, Jesus describes the response of those who have a receptive heart. When the farmer casts seed and it falls on good soil, it produces a crop. In fact, it was the only soil in which a crop was produced. Some people hear the gospel message and it changes their life forever. They understand that Jesus came to die on the cross for their sins so that they could have life. And they receive the gospel by putting their faith and trust in Jesus to save them. And then they go on to live a life that produces spiritual fruit. Meaning the way they live brings glory and honor to Jesus. What's awesome is that so many of you, the life you've been living, demonstrates that you have a receptive heart. Because the manner in which we live is evidence of the fact that God has changed us. The manner in which we live is evidence of the fact that God has changed us. And you're receptive to his message and the work he wants to do in your life. After reading Jesus' explanation of the parable, one of the questions that pops into my mind, maybe yours as well, is who's saved? Right? Who's saved? So, of the four soils or responses to the gospel, which of them are genuine followers of Jesus? There's widespread consensus among Bible scholars about the seed that landed on the path or the road and the good soil. Unfortunately, those with hard hearts have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus, they remain separated from God. However, those who have receptive hearts to the gospel have experienced a genuine conversion, and the crop they produce is evidence. Of life change there tends to be a little bit more ambiguity surrounding the seed that falls on the rocky soil and the seed that falls among the thorny plants and there's questions that arise and and people have done so much studying because there appears to show they appear to show signs of life but is their conversion genuine is it real and while it's a hard pill to swallow most agree that the answer is no. They're not genuine followers of Jesus. While there may be an interest in the gospel or even a desire to grow spiritually, there is a lack of spiritual fruit produced in their life. And one commentator writes, ongoing production of fruit is what differentiates those who have truly responded to the gospel. See, scripture would certainly support this statement as well. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 19, Jesus is talking about the religious rulers, and he goes on to describe how you'll know them, and it's by their fruit, the way they live. John the Baptist communicates a similar type of message in Luke chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Catch this. Avoiding judgment is not dependent upon the apparent presence of life, but on the production of good fruit. And unfortunately, the good soil or the receptive heart is the only one to produce fruit, which is the desired result. And so perhaps though you're thinking or you're a little surprised that the majority, in this case, 75% rejected Jesus and his message. How could the majority reject Jesus himself? They saw the miracles he performed. They've heard him teach in person. How is it that 75% in this particular story reject Jesus However, I don't know that that should come as a surprise to us. In fact, Jesus told us to expect this kind of response. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few it see the bible tells us tells us sadly most people will reject jesus and his free gift of eternal life so what should our response be what do we do with our knowledge and understanding of this parable as we wrap it up i want to give you a few action steps first if you're a follower of jesus you need to cast seed you need to share the gospel See, by the grace of God, you have received the life that Jesus came to give. And now you are no longer just represented by the good soil. You must take on the role of the farmer, the one who shares the gospel. After all, Jesus commanded us to do that. Go and make disciples. We don't just get to say, hey, I'm going to try to produce as much fruit as possible. Producing the fruit of sharing the gospel, letting in others know about him. And of course, the role of the farmer isn't easy. We've been given a challenging task. If the majority of people rejected Jesus, we better believe the majority of people reject us as well. But God didn't call us to save people. He called us to share the gospel. Meaning we need to be faithful to the task we've been given and trust God with the results. One commentator writes, faithfulness and uh, sowing the gospel is paramount. Not the numbers that respond. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5-9, through that God alone, God alone who makes things grow. See, there's no way for us to know the kind of soil we're sowing on. Only God knows that. And so all we can do is sow as much seed as possible. Give people as many opportunities as we can to hear the gospel and put their faith and trust in him to save them. And then pray like crazy that God works in the lives of people to change their heart and make them receptive to him. Second thing I want you to do this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, I want you to perform a self-evaluation. I want you to ask yourself, what kind of soil am I? Right? What kind of soil am I? How have I responded to Jesus and his invitation to become his follower? If you've been paying attention this morning, you know that the best way to answer that question is by examining the fruit you've produced. Is there life change in you? Is it evident in you? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? Does your life bring glory and honor to Jesus? See, fruit is never a matter of an overnight exercise. It takes nurturing. And so Jesus' teaching doesn't look at the reaction to God's word in a single moment, but over a period of time. And so as you reflect on your spiritual walk, maybe a better way to say it is is up to this point in your life, what soil are you? Of course, my hope is that many of you can say with confidence that you are good soil, that your life has demonstrated that you're a genuine follower of Jesus, But perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know which soil represents you. Or you know that you're represented by the path, the road. You know you have a hard heart. I can't change your heart. Only God can do that. But as we just said, all I can do is sow more seed. And so I want to give you an opportunity to receive God's free gift of salvation. So you need to understand there's nothing that you can do to earn it. And that it's only available to you because God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. That's it. And if you want to begin a personal relationship with God this morning, one that will change your life both now and for all eternity, then all you need to do is admit, believe, and commit. Simple. Admit that you have sinned, that you're in need of a Savior. It's all about confessing your sins to God and asking him to forgive you. Believing that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. Putting your faith and trust in him alone to save you. And then committing as best as you know how to live your life for Him. You no longer get to call the shots. You're giving that up and doing your very best to produce good.